Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Before we start, a warning. Today's episode includes details of sexual harassment and assault. It takes Hollywood to make an idea global. So back in 2017, when a slew of allegations about Harvey Weinstein emerged, it quickly snowballed. All over the world, women began to share their experiences, finally saying the things that had, until then, been left unsaid. Whole industries and offices had to re-examine the way they worked as more and more women came forward saying, me too. He pointed out that he had the power to end her career and she should do whatever he wanted her to. But one workplace where the movement never really took off was in the NHS. But that could be about to change. He came into her clinic at the end of the day, grabbed her hand and placed it on himself and asked her to go home with him because his family were away. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, a Me Too moment for medicine. I think a lot of soul-searching has been sparked by Me Too, but there are things about surgery as a profession and probably medicine in general that perhaps make it harder for people to speak out and share their stories. That's The Times health editor, Kat Lay, who's been speaking to people in the medical profession who've experienced sexual harassment and assault, but many of whom are still struggling to speak out for a number of reasons. It's a very kind of rigid, hierarchical structure. The nature of doctor's training means that they will move around between trusts fairly frequently and perhaps find it harder to make the informal connections within a workplace that can help deal with these things or even kind of grease the wheels of a complaints process because you know how it all works. It's a small community. I mean, there's a a small number of surgeons in the NHS. And if you have gone through years of medical school, years of specialty training, you don't want to give it up and go and do something else. But if you start to speak about what's going on, there's that fear that that's what you're going to be known for. You're going to be either that person who made a fuss and Mm. nothing really came of it, or even if you are believed, you are then that person who was sexually harassed or sexually assaulted or worse. And that isn't how you want to be thought of in a professional context. And for people who haven't experienced that culture firsthand, I mean, is it still quite male dominated? And is there something about if you are a trainee, you know, needing to prove that you're tough? Absolutely. It is still a male dominated environment although that is starting to change. And it is very hierarchical. So within 
the operating theatre, you sometimes hear the phrase, you know, the surgeon is God. It can be hard to challenge that. And these are things that are changing. They are discussions that are happening around patient safety as much as anything else, you know, empowering people to speak up no matter where they are within that hierarchy if they feel something is going wrong so that they can challenge that. But it's been done a certain way for a very long time and that kind of culture change takes time. But you do, you get strong personalities within surgery. I mean, you talk to a cardiac surgeon and they tell you, you know, it it takes a certain amount of ego to be willing to cut someone's chest open and stop Mm. their heart and fiddle around in it. But that's, that's partly what's interesting here is that, you know, these are tough women who have decided that they want to enter what has been a man's world. And when they get there, these are the barriers that they're facing. Last year, one surgeon who'd been assaulted at work wrote about her experience in the Bulletin of the Royal College of Surgeons. Philippa Jackson very bravely agreed to read out extracts for us of what she'd written. While working as a junior doctor in one of the largest trusts in England, I was sexually assaulted by a member of the theatre team. Philippa Jackson has been very brave and very open, and she wrote about what had happened to her in the Royal College of Surgeons Bulletin, which is where I came across her case. Philippa is a surgeon, and she was preparing with her colleagues to go and operate on a patient. It was an emergency case, and one of her colleagues stepped behind her to help her tie her surgical gown and he told her that her consenting to him tying her gown meant she had consented to him tying her up however he liked and then he kissed her on the nape of her neck. Over the course of the previous weeks and months, he had gradually increased his level of physical contact with me. It will sound weak, but I didn't want to seem rude by refusing what appeared to be kindness, a hug, an arm around my shoulder. Earlier that same day, they'd been in a corridor discussing a case again about to go to theatre, and he had commented on her breasts, hugged her, and rubbed his erection on her thigh. He made an inappropriate comment about the erection and then just left to get on with the day's work. You can never know your reaction to this sort of situation, but I now know it is not uncommon to do what I did, which is nothing. I got on with my work. I felt uncomfortable, but patients needed treating, and it was my job to be there, to work alongside him in theatre. That sounds like it's getting very serious. What did she set out? She talked about this experience that she had had how she had been sexually assaulted and she said it had started a lot more innocently it had started with an increased level of physical contact and then it escalated to to the point where this individual had sexually assaulted her while she was preparing to go into surgery and to treat patients and it was after that that she tried to report what had happened to her she didn't really get 
any kind of meaningful response. There were certainly no consequences for the perpetrator. What happened next is an eternal disappointment to me and I believe illustrates the endemic problems within the NHS that are preventing progress. I had made notes of the events when they happened, while fresh in my mind, and I took these notes with my consultant to the matron in theatres to report what had happened. After looking at me for a moment, she said, are you sure you want to make this a formal complaint? Or is this something we can handle less formally? Philippa says she was taken aback by that and she passed her notes over and it did eventually turn into a formal complaint. But that formal complaint ran its course. She was asked some very pointed questions about whether she'd led that man on and it concluded that because the incident had been unwitnessed, it couldn't be proved and there was no case to answer and there wasn't even a final meeting or any kind of follow-up That was it, really. I still find I need to clarify my personal boundaries in the workplace, which should not be necessary. And while I am bolder about the physical boundaries, there are occasions when I have let inappropriate comments pass unchecked. She says, you know, she's now in a position to speak up. I am now in a position as a female consultant surgeon where my actions and behaviour will influence the attitudes of junior doctors and the wider healthcare team. But I don't want to police this issue and I certainly don't want to do it alone. She feels that this is something that the surgical community need to talk about and need to change. Because it is astonishing. I mean, you wouldn't imagine any other workplace would respond in the same way. I mean, we had that moment with Me Too where people across workplaces were coming out and talking about incidents like this, you know, it led to a culture change for a lot of people. How much is it being talked about within the surgical community now? Well, it's been called surgery's Me Too movement. And certainly on social media, people are sharing stories, often couched in quite vague terms. So they'll share Philippa's story and they'll say, this feels very familiar or something like this happened to me as well and it's being talked about in terms of the spectrum that this kind of issue covers from inappropriate remarks right through to sexual assault and rape the royal college of surgeons of england issued a a report last year they got an independent barrister in to look at diversity and inclusion for the surgical community. The findings of that were quite shocking. I mean, they found that there were jokes being made about sexual assault and rape. There were issues around the treatment of ethnic minority surgeons. There was talk of an old boys network that perhaps stopped women reaching certain positions or being able to kind of fully participate in the life of the college. So it is being discussed quite openly. What I think we're starting to see now is people coming forward and sharing their own individual stories rather than talking about it in general terms. 
A survey published last year of 473 surgical trainees in the UK found sexual harassment was rife. It found sexual harassment was experienced by almost half, 48.8% of female trainees, as well as 18.9% of male trainees. What was different between the male and female trainees was that in most cases, the harassment of women came from a senior colleague, whereas the male trainees, it was quite often perhaps nursing or theatre staff. And the reasons that they chose not to report were also quite different. The male trainees tended to think it wasn't a big deal, it wasn't worth reporting. The female trainees thought there's no point reporting it because it's not going to change anything. Which is really worrying. I know there was um, a recent academic paper on the subject and you've been talking to some of the authors. Tell us about that. This was the report by two surgeons, two junior surgeons, so they're not yet consultants, called Simon Fleming and Becky Fisher. And they wrote a paper in, again, the Royal College of Surgeons of England bulletin. And it started very starkly. It said, surgery and surgical training have a problem with sexual harassment, sexual assault and rape. It is an uncomfortable truth, but the truth nonetheless. It went on to talk about surveys that have been done, so drawing together a lot of research in this area from across the globe, actually, that has found high rates of sexual harassment and discrimination and assault within surgical communities, and also talked about the fact that reporting the incidents could often have a bigger negative impact for the victim than for the perpetrator in terms of either threats that making a fuss about this will have a negative consequence for your career or simply whether they choose to report or not, the effect on their career of withdrawing from the work environment slightly in order to avoid Mm. their harasser or colleagues who perhaps were bystanders and didn't step in. That's something Philippa Jackson experienced after her assault. I decided to speak individually to each of the consultants I worked for directly, and the array of responses was staggering. One giggled, one left the room with barely another word, a couple offered support. After that, some staff avoided me, people curtailed their conversations when I approached, and one consultant was clearly nervous about his particular brand of humour around me. And are the harassers ever called out? You know, the, the case you told us about earlier, nothing was done, but are there cases where they have been sanctioned in some way? There are cases like this that do appear from time to time before a medical practitioner's tribunal where sanctions range from suspension to being formally struck off. But what the people who study this area tell me is that those are the tip of the iceberg. So something has to meet a very high bar in order for things to get that far. And so what else did they find when they were talking to people for this academic paper? What were they hearing? One interesting thing is that Simon was invited to write the paper because he's quite a a visible and outspoken advocate for culture change in surgery more widely. He 
reached out to over 20 women in surgery who had shared with him in the past experiences of sexual harassment or discrimination or sexual assault or rape. None of them were willing to co-author the paper, even with a guarantee of anonymity, which is when Becky Fisher kind of stepped in to act as his fellow author. And she said she feels able to speak out because she hasn't experienced this, although she's counselled friends and colleagues who have. But she felt that because she is working in a place that seems to have a, a good culture, she felt that she could speak out without potentially experiencing those negative consequences. But to go through 20 women before you find one who is willing to be involved, I think does speak to the scale of the problem. As Simon Fleming and Becky Fisher began to compile their paper, more and more Me Too stories emerged. We'll hear about the experience of another trainee surgeon in a moment, but first. Hi, I'm Emily Dugan, social affairs correspondent at The Sunday Times. It's you, listeners and subscribers, who enable me to investigate. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. If you subscribe today, you can enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Philippa Jackson, who very bravely shared her story earlier, is by no means alone. Another surgeon wrote to Simon Fleming, who was writing an academic paper on sexual harassment, asking him to share her story anonymously. This woman was a freshly appointed trainee who'd been sent to a deanery for what she describes as a coveted training post. When she first got there, her educational supervisor, who who was a new consultant with a wife and children, took an interest in her. He asked a lot of questions about her personal life and she thought he was just being friendly. But soon she started to find his behaviour sinister. He would stand too close to her while she was operating. He would whisper in her ear. He would find excuses to be in more contact than should have been strictly necessary. After a couple of months, he asked whether they could travel together to a conference being held a couple of hours away. When she agreed, he asked whether they could stay in a hotel together. And she said, I won't be staying over. He pointed out that he had the power to end her career and she should do whatever he wanted her to. She says that should have been enough for her to do or say something. But... She was a vulnerable young female trainee in a new department. She felt she had nobody to turn to. As the months went on in the operating theatre, so while she was scrubbed up and operating, he would stand so close that she could feel his erection against her body. As he whispered guidance in her ear, it was peppered with filth. And... She says he would do this 
while she was examining letters and scans as well. To an outside observer, it looked as if he was taking an interest in her work, but that was very much not the case. And it went on in that the theatre nurses had realised what was happening and told her, we know what's going on, but they said they couldn't do or say anything because they felt that would risk their jobs. Eventually things came to a head when he came into her clinic at the end of the day, grabbed her hand and placed it on himself and asked her to go home with him because his family were away. She refused. He reminded her again that he had the power to destroy her career if she didn't meet his needs. She walked away. She thought, I have not done anything wrong. He won't be able to do anything. But he carried out the threat. Within days, she had a letter from her clinical director saying there were concerns about her attitude from a consultant and also that a nurse had accused her of refusing to see a patient while on call. She says she fell apart. These were baseless accusations against her professionalism, but that was the final straw. She ended up being redeployed to a neighbouring department. She was advised that if you want to continue your career, you need to pretend nothing has happened. And that was it. Nobody spoke to her, asked what had gone on to get her side of things, and he was allowed to continue in that supervisory role for later trainees. Over a decade later, she says she's doing well professionally and personally, but she's been left with a form of PTSD. And she says the actions of that supervisor were humiliating and traumatic. But what still hurts is the silence of the people that she considered friends and trusted colleagues. She says that she really wants the profession to take some action that will allow people to speak up without fear of recrimination in order to move on from this. That's such an impossible position to be in. It does just highlight that disparity of power. They can literally end your career. Now that these cases are coming to light and people are starting to talk about them, what are the Royal College of Surgeons and Health Education England doing? So Health Education England, after these stories came out, have written to trainee surgeons across the NHS to tell them that this is unacceptable, that the sexual assault and harassment have no place in society and certainly not within a professional surgical environment, is how they put it. Professor Sheena McCloyd, Deputy Medical Director at Health Education England, said it was working to ensure the safety of all healthcare trainees. She added, the NHS must be a safe working and learning environment. And the Royal College of Surgeons of England, again, they've said they're you know, outraged and appalled and they have called for the profession to strive for a culture that takes a zero-tolerance approach to sexual harassment. They added, This means all of us challenging unacceptable behaviour and reporting it. We would urge anyone who has experienced or witnessed 
any type of sexual harassment or assault in the workplace to report it to their employer and to the police. There's clearly the right noises being made from the people in power and I suppose we have to hope that that follows through to real action for women who are experiencing this kind of thing while they're trying to do their jobs. And what have you been hearing? You know, since the OR article came out, have people been getting in touch? I have heard from a number of women surgeons who have had similar experiences. Almost universally, they have asked me not to share their stories yet. Really? Yeah. They are worried about the consequences for their career if they become known as someone who makes a fuss or if it becomes public and they are then seen as a victim rather than the competent surgeons that they are within that professional environment. But they recognise that this is a conversation that is going on and it's a case of finding the right time or the right way to tell their stories because there's obviously fear but there's also recognition of the power of sharing a story that lets other people know they're not alone in Mm. their experiences. So really if there's anyone listening who has a story like this that they would like to share I'd urge them to get in touch and we can talk about how you would like to tell your story, when you would like to tell your story. It is useful as someone investigating this area to hear from people in complete confidence in order to build up a picture of what is really going on and some areas or some trusts where there does appear to be more of an issue than in other places. And from what you're hearing, are those conversations happening now? Are people starting to talk about it much more to each other as well as to people like you who are trying to shine a light on it? This is clearly becoming a movement and people are sharing their stories in a bid to help each other, in a bid to make this something that it's normal to talk about so people don't have to be afraid to tell their stories or just to raise things that might seem quite innocuous, like an off-colour joke that actually doesn't land that well and to tell a colleague that's not appropriate. That is happening more, I think, as a result of this conversation that that has been sparked here. Because it's horrifying to think women in the profession you know women who've trained as hard as anyone else who are working at becoming surgeons and consultants are having to face things like this all the time it's also horrifying though as a woman you know you sort of think for patients you're constantly relying on a bond of trust really with surgeons and doctors to to not be thinking about things like that when you're being treated it's quite disturbing to hear that's happening It is, and as well as being horrendous for the women involved, there are clear parallels with some of the conversations that are being had around patient safety. You know, do staff feel empowered to speak up when things go wrong? Do they feel able to point out something that isn't right, that 
in this case is sexual harassment or assault. In another case, it could be a patient safety concern. It could be you know, something that has gone wrong in treatment and you know, a patient has come to harm as a result. And the NHS in recent years has been talking a lot about a no-blame culture and empowering people to speak up when something isn't right. And I think this has to be seen in that context as well. And these stories are just sort of starting to trickle out now. It's probably hard to say, but do we have a sense of just how widespread we think this is, of how big a problem it might turn out to be? I mean, you can look back at the surveys that have been done. So that survey of surgical trainees that that found half of the female trainees had experienced sexual harassment. And that's within surgery. And there are similar structures in terms of training and the hierarchy in other areas of medicine. There are issues of the hierarchy between the medical and nursing profession that you could easily see parallels there. There's also increasing concern, I think, about sexual assault and harassment from patients to doctors and nurses, which is sometimes brushed aside as just one of those things, just part of the job. And increasingly, people are saying it shouldn't be. You know, we, we need to tackle this. With Me Too, I guess, when it happened, it led to a lot of people who may not have sort of stopped and thought about their behaviour before, having to think much more carefully about what would be appropriate and what wouldn't. Um, And I just wonder if, is this a moment in terms of both Me Too, but also other behaviours in surgery where surgeons are having to become much more aware of how they behave and how it's perceived by others and, and whether it'll have consequences? So I think surgery has been a predominantly white, predominantly male profession for a long time. And as part of that, there are perhaps things that have just been commonplace that people haven't really given a a second thought, like women being less likely to be promoted or people from ethnic minorities not having the the same opportunities that their white colleagues might have had and those things that have just been part of the way things were done are starting to change. You get statements from the college leadership and other senior surgeons saying we need to call out discrimination, we need to promote equality, diversity, inclusion And not just because it's the right thing to do, but also because if we don't do that, we are missing out on talented and brilliant surgeons at a time when the NHS is facing desperate staffing shortages on multiple fronts. And if we don't make people feel welcome, then that is going to have a wider impact than just for that individual. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, 
a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times health editor, Kat Lay. You can read all of Kat's reporting on this story at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. And if you or someone you know has been affected by anything in today's episode, you can find advice and support at sexualabusesupport.campaign.gov.uk. And if you've experienced sexual harassment in the medical world or in the NHS and you'd like to share your story with Kat, you can email her at cat.lay at thetimes.co.uk. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.